because the rapid fire was supposed to be the good greater garbage one where we did a whole bunch of albums but that wasn't that long that wasn't that short that did not go as quickly <laughs> as we expected it to yeah trepo season two let's get i'm not gonna say let's get <laughs> so but you I, just did i still don't know how to start these things it's listen two. motherfuckers it's season two no we don't we can't do that <laughs> I've got some recommendations for your listing pleasure. Well, we have a lot of recommendations, I guess, technically. It's the lightning round. Oh, wait, no, this is the intro. Welcome, dear listeners. Welcome back to the show that talks about stuff on purpose. It's Trapo Season 2. We did it. They didn't think it would happen. We didn't think it would happen. <laughs> Somehow we made it. It's been a year. A People year keep tra- commenting, so we just keep going. But yeah, this is Trapo Season 2. I'm Dustin. I'm Kaim. And we're back. We didn't go anywhere, really. It's been like a week. How is it season two, then? It's just because season one started at the beginning of October. So, hey, it's the beginning of October. Let's just call it season two. And this week, got something special for you. You may or may not remember... We began our first season, and in fact, our first episode of Trapo with a little two-parter we call the Essential Albums Podcast. The premise was we each brought five albums to the table that we considered essential. You may know if you've listened to that two-part episode, things got a little out of hand. It didn't stop for a long time. Uh, We talked about Kate Bush for a while. It was the first time growing pains, but we're not going to make that same mistake with our opening salvo season two. No, no, we have learned from our mistakes. We are revisiting the Essential Albums format, only we're not each bringing five albums to the table. We're bringing 10 albums each for a 20-album lightning round. Oh my god. We doubled down. Because we're idiots. (laughs) Yeah, we're fucking idiots. But as Kai mentioned, this is the lightning round. And that means we're going to go through this shit fast. It's not going to be as long. Hopefully it'll be a little more entertaining. This is going to be one episode, one and done. It's October. It's the spooky season. We got spooky shit to talk about in the near future. But that's not now. That's now. This is now. (laughs) That's then. This is then. We're talking about the essential albums. Before we get to all that goodness, we're going to start something, a new tradition here in the season two of Trapo with a recurring segment that we like to call the exchange, not the album exchange. That's a different thing. Now, the idea of the exchange is that we'll open episode with recommendations. We'll each bring something to the table, whether it be a, a movie, a hit record, a TV show, a book, a comic book. I don't know anything. A podcast. Why not? We'll recommend other podcasts on the podcast no one listens to. We're going to exchange this shit in hopes that you, dear listener, may get something out of it. This week on The Exchange. Kai, what have you got for me? This week, I have a little EP from 2020, self-titled by a trio from San Francisco called Sour Widows. It's six songs. It's like 27, 28 minutes long. You should check it out. Whole Lot of Nothing is an amazing song. What are the Sour Widows? I don't know. Is it it's, it's No. <laughs> it's just like a ba- just like a band. Percussion and guitar and girl singing. Somewhere between indie rock and almost like folk because it's just kind of her singing. I don't know. It's weird. You should check it out. It's all spelled normally, right? Sour yeah. Widows. I'm not messing Sour weird. Widows. Yeah. S-A-U-E-R. Full length album that uh, came out last year. It was good, too. What was the album called? Crossing Over. So you should check out Sour Widows. What do you got for me? I recently rewatched a movie for the first time. It's Johnny Mnemonic in black and white. Didn't you have the orange uh, VHS? Well, yeah, back in the day, I bought that used. This is a brand new thing. It's actually called Johnny Mnemonic in black and white. Oh. That's what it is. I didn't just watch it in black and white. I didn't know. This is the new version of the movie. Oh, cool. Robert Longo was the director. He's a visual artist. He wasn't a filmmaker. He had a dream, like a passion, to direct an adaptation of the William Gibson short story that became Johnny Mnemonic. (laughs) They collaborated. William Gibson wrote the screenplay, and they had a plan to make this version of the film with a very low budget and shoot it in black and white, probably on 16 millimeter, real quick and dirty, all practical effects. Their script got the attention of a studio, and the studio wanted to put more money into it, make it a bigger thing. The project ended up ballooning kind of out of Robert Longo's control it was a whole ordeal he wasn't happy with the final movie because really all he wanted to do was make this really small black and white 
cyberpunk movie. That's what he wanted. That was his dream. That's not how it happened. Uh, I think Sony owns the rights to it. I don't think they were interested in opening up the vaults and letting him re-edit a film. I don't think that was ever in the cards for them. He did have an idea revisiting the existing film in black and white to try to recapture some of his original vision. And he ended up convincing Sony and actually recolor graded the entire film. He didn't just turn the color saturation down and then release it that way. The movie has been completely regraded. It looks really good in black and white. It's actually kind of shocking. I thought it was going to be some kind of dumbass gimmick, but no. I have a soft spot for Johnny Demonic anyway. Well, that was kind of like a movie adaptation of Stephen King's The Mist. I remember seeing the black and white version. And watching the color version, I was like, eh. Yeah, the black and white version of The Mist is definitely superior. It just looks like it was made for black and white. Yeah. Johnny Mnemonic was earlier than that, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the mid-90s. I saw that in a theater. I was excited Mm -hmm. as shit. It's not perfect. It's never going to be a great movie. But it's a lot more interesting to watch in black and white, weirdly enough. An interesting experiment. I haven't seen it since probably the fucking 90s, so... It's a cult classic to me. I see the flaws every time I watch it. But I find it charming. It's weird to be able to watch it in black and white. I'm glad it exists. I really am. But at the same time, why? Why would you do this? Such an oddity. But okay, that's my recommendation. Johnny Mnemonic in black and white. That's it for the uh, inaugural exchange. So let's get it fucking started. Let's get what started, Kai? Lightning round. I don't know. I don't have an order. You fucking go your own way, bro. The lightning round. We're going to do that. It's the lightning round. Lightning round. Some of them are very popular and have been talked about by a million people who actually know about music instead of us. These are all albums I do not know Kai's list, and Kai does not know my list. We each picked our 10 albums with the feeling that these albums are essentially already in the canon. This is just a formality basically so don't really expect any controversial decisions these are already basically it if you're looking for weird ass new music this probably won't be the episode for you mostly uh fairly well-known popular things that we happen to love this is also kind of focused around our personal perspective not things that we think are artistic masterpieces they're things that we love and things that uh we think should be essential into the canon but that we're not going to talk about at length because we don't fucking want to people have talked at length about most of this shit if you want to learn more about it you absolutely can just google that fucker it's an amazing thing the internet you should check it out do you go first do you want me to go first i don't i think uh i think you should start us off here and you know what i'm gonna go for one of the most obvious picks an album from 1967 by and this is gonna be a shocker to you because they don't have anything in the canon yet by the beatles who the beatles i'm nominating sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band That's right. That's right. I did it. I did it. You went there, huh? In 1966, the Beatles retired from touring. They said they were done. And they said, fuck that. George Harrison went off to India, learned to play the sitar, fucking got high with Ravi Shankar. Who gives a shit? I mean, really, who gives a shit? You want to learn about the making of Sgt. Pepper's? People have written books, multiple books. Spent their lives. You can take college courses about about, this album. There's some things you have to say. Like, Sgt. Pepper's was conceived as a live performance from a band that doesn't exist okay that's that's the concept i guess you call it boundary pushing psychedelic rock sergeant peppers is the first pop album that was mastered without gaps between songs it was mastered with crossfades between tracks to help sell the illusion of a continuous performance that had never been done before that's kind of fucking cool Apparently, Paul McCartney, at multiple times while they were recording Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, he would insist that this album they were making was the Beatles' answer to Frank Zappa's freakout. This is according to several sources. Paul McCartney literally exclaimed, This is our freakout. And that's what Sgt. Pepper's is. Wow. Kai, does Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band belong in the Trapo Sanchez canon? Oh, yes. It's in the canon. Congratulations, the Beatles. <laughs> you you finally made it into the Trapo Sanchez canon. That's it. What, what's, what's next, Kai? What's next? I didn't put uh, any Beatles on here. Oh, no. 
We got their best album on there. What's next? I don't give a fuck. I, I oh, had oh, a feeling oh, no, you would, you would put Sgt. Pepper's on there, and that's the only other one I, I would have. The rest of them are <laughs> no, great, I mean, but that's not. They're all the canon. We just haven't right. officially done it yet. Every Beatles album is technically already in the canon. I'm yeah. sorry. We just haven't affi- We haven't made it a formality yet. That's it. We'll, we'll mention them sometime. You went with some heavy hitters right off the bat. So uh, I, I, had, I had to. I'm going to go with the album from 1977. Oh, no. That actually probably wouldn't be most people's choice from this band. This band is Pink Floyd and the album is Animals. Pink I'm going to say no to animals. We talked about animals 7,000 times 20 years ago. It'd be controversial. Say, animals? Fuck no. You going to say no to pigs? No. I'm going to say yes. Say- it's a fucking yeah. masterpiece. What am I supposed to say? The album artwork with the industrial pipes and the fucking floating pig was one of the first things that just caught me. I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? It was the 10th album. Mm. And, the, and then I looked at the track listing. And that was one of the other things that got me. It was like Pigs on the Wing Part 1, Dogs, Pigs, three different ones, Sheep, Pigs on the Wing Part 2. It was like, I don't know what this means, but I'm sold. It's five songs. Well, it's a half an hour long. <laughs> oh, shit. Four, 40 minutes long. All right. A fucking in. Dogs is like a magical fucking journey. Pigs, three different ones is one of my all-time favorite songs. It's just uh, magical. And Pink Floyd, Animals, 1977. Is it, uh, is it in the canon? Of course it's in the canon. You know it is. Fuck yeah, it's in the canon. What else you got? My next essential album is from 2003. It's the Mars Volta's Deloused in the Comatory. I've been waiting for so long for someone to We could ramble on about that album yeah, for hours, or we could just turn the fucking key and that's uh, my I'm problem. write it on the list, and that's it. <laughs> I could talk yeah. about the meaning behind D. Laos from the Comatorium for probably an hour and a half. That's why I nominated this for this episode, because it's like I could do this for an hour and a half, or I could do it in two minutes. I'm going to listen to it tomorrow morning just because you said it, and now it's in my head. I need to listen to it again. It's the touching story of a man named Serpentaxed who overdoses <laughs> on a potent mixture of morphine and rat poison slips into a coma and journeys through a hellish netherworld only to recover then jump off a bridge because the world sucks that's apparently the story of d laos in the comatorium it is inspired yeah. by the life and death of a man named julio venegas who was a friend of Cedric Bixler Zavala. You know, Omar Rodriguez Lopez and Cedric Bixler Zavala formed the Mars Volta after they left at the drive-in because at the drive-in was too conventional. They wanted to make weird shit. They, they did. Had a strange, fucked up, weird, unconventional relationship from then on out where apparently and- they really did not like each other. And then they're like, hey, by the way, we're going to make an amazing album again just because we felt like it. Like, oh, fuck, they're back. This is a fun fact that I didn't know until I literally looked it up. D. Laos in the comatorium still the mars volta's best selling album this apparatus must be on earth one of the best songs i've ever heard in my life is in my fucking brain it will never leave yeah i think it belongs to the trepo Central's canon so what oh, do you think Kai? It, it was there before you even said it when you thought it like a couple days ago it was already there i already turned my key i already wrote it down the second you said it i wrote it down and i picked out what i was going to about next we did it we're three albums down and it's moving pretty quick what's next in this lightning round four i'm gonna have to pick another um don't get controversial mother oh no don't you do it i'm gonna i'm gonna pick another uh masterpiece this is uh the year 2000 meridanoms from a perfect circle Again, 
we could talk about it for hours. Other people have talked about it for hours. Or we could just fucking say goddamn check and move on. That was my second alternate. Was that, was my, that was my backup. <laughs> Married Anonymous was my backup. This has got to be there. Came along at the right time. I bought it on CD. I listened to it 7,000 times. Tool is so fucking weird. And you get Maynard, Maynard James Keenan. I'm sorry for you people who don't know. But Maynard comes along and says, you know what, Tool? That's one thing. I got something else in my brain. I got to fucking work it out. Right. There weren't a lot of mega rock stars at the time who yeah. did that. They had a band and they found a thing. Guns and Roses style like, no, this is our band and this is what we do and that's what we're going to fucking. And then he was like, yeah... At the height of Tool, he's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to do something different. Flipped a 180, and uh, it's a fucking masterpiece. On its face, it's just alt-rock. It is so much more mainstream on its face than Tool. Yeah. But it's so well done. Their first single from A Perfect Circle was Judith. And Judith, it's very well done alt-rock. But when you get to those lyrics, you're like, wait a minute. He's spiting Jesus Christ. Praise for the one who left you broken down and paralyzed. The song is saying, fuck God. That's their first yeah. single there's something happening there guess what motherfucker it's in the trapo essentials canon like that comment we had it was like trent reznor wrote hurt in 1994 for johnny cash he just didn't know it yet. Yeah, he didn't know it yet <laughs> the perfect circle wrote this so that it could be in the trapo's essential canon. <laughs> they just yeah. didn't know it yet i'm gonna move on to my next pick which is from 1971 the band is jethro toll the album aqualon <laughs> claim Aqualung is a concept album. Ian Anderson insists up and down. It's not a concept album. That's why. I mean, we talked about it in our first Essential Albums podcast. That's why Thick as a Brick exists. Oh, you want a concept album? Here's a fucking concept album. I gotta book a concept album for you. After Aqualung, they became a very popular band. They rose to such new heights. It's still their best-selling album of all time. That's it. It belongs in the Trapo Essentials canon. That's an all-timer. It's a work of art. And the flowers bloom like madness in the spring. Aqualung is in the canon, Kai. Is it in the canon? I think it's in the oh, canon. Oh, fuck. I, I wrote it down the second you said Jethro Toll. I started writing Aqualung. Thick as a brick is in there. Oh, it's got to be Aqualung. Dance think around of, like a fucking madman yeah. with a flute. Just like with all of these albums. The whole point is we could talk about it for hours. Other people have. You can go listen to it and you fucking tell us. If you think we're stupid for including it. Someone said something about King Crimson one time. We're like, well, I don't know. I thought that was our best album. But apparently that, oh shit, that is not popular opinion. Her, I don't no, fucking look, care. Let us look, know. The popular opinion is that In the Court of the Crimson King is their best album. I am generally inclined to agree. But yeah. Red hits me on a more personal level that's why i nominated red first and the personal level was starless starless is a fucking masterpiece it is the best thing king crimson has ever made john doe telling me red isn't canon worthy you know what john doe i know you've been commenting from the beginning you can burn hell (laughs) (laughs) oh well what's the next pick Kai? (laughs) you gotta tell me well after aqualung i think I think we need to jump up to 1982, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. Everything dies, maybe that's a bet. But maybe everything that dies someday comes back. But you make up on what you hear of me. And me and I in the city. That was my alternate. Was it really? <laughs> That was my alternate. Um, okay, we can skip that, and you can use <laughs> oh, no, it as no, your no, alternate. No, 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 Kai, here's the thing. If you want me to it talk to about Nebraska, I will do three episodes on Nebraska. So <laughs> right. this is probably the better alternative just to yeah. talk about Nebraska well, for two minutes and move on. And the other thing is, if we get five comments that are like, no, you got to talk about that album, whatever it is, then we can talk about that album later. If everyone's like, said... no, you got to talk about D-Last in the Comatorium, man, oh, then we 
fucking do it. The second you said Nebraska, I broke out in a sweat. You were like, I'm I don't sweating. know, maybe we'll have one or two the same. Like I said, I was oh. going through and I was like, kind of 90s alt rock, mm-hmm. alt rock. Yeah. Uh, okay, I need something else. I was like, uh, and that just popped into my head. You fucking, fucking just picture had to of him Nebraska. on the cover. I was like, of uh, yep, okay. So I, I don't even have anything to say about it. It's just fucking listen to it and you will put it in your own canon, whoever it is, the fuck you are. It's only Bruce Springsteen's absolute masterwork. It is one of the greatest rock albums of all time. Absolutely. It is. The only reason it was my alternate is because I held back thinking, I might want to talk about this for three hours. But no, you know what? Actually, what you did, it was a good thing. <laughs> saved you. You know what? You can always write that novel later. Put it in a fucking I blog may. post. I may. It's all good. We're three and three. That's pretty good. I'm going to go a little more uh, a little more modern. It's only 21 years old. I'm going for uh, 2001's self-titled album by Gorillaz. sunshine in a bag I'm useless but not for long the future is coming on here's the thing about gorillas if you don't know dear listener they were essentially the brainchild of blur frontman damon albarn and cartoonist jamie hewlett the co-creator of tank girl the initial idea was to create a cartoon band that would act as a sort of satirical commentary on the music industry now if you want to know more about gorillas as a band and as a concept there's so many resources you could exploit to do so because i could spend seven thousand hours talking about them or i could just say gorillas is a masterpiece it's so seven million copies can you i I honestly cannot believe that this weirdo fucking album sold seven million copies in 2001 Uh, my teenage daughters all know at least one song from this album very mysterious who are these people for a while but then after a while they were just like no it's just they're people and then right. and then it became more just a normal i mean thing. It, it wasn't a secret that damon albarn yeah. was the front man of gorillas that was never a secret but no. he wanted people to ignore him it's like the wizard of oz saying pay no attention yeah. to the man behind the curtain basically there is a very interesting backstory behind the genesis of gorillas and if you want to learn more about it you're not going to do it here once again we're going to just say gorillas by gorillas is in the trap of essentials canon and uh, we're going to 2001 2001 let's move on let's move on because i'll start talking about tank girl again we don't need that my fourth pick number eight is a uh, contemporary of the gorillas album 1999's californication by red hot chili peppers I have no alternates now, so there we go. Well, guess what? It's already in the canon. It was in the canon at one <laughs> fucking nineteen ninety nine. In nineteen ninety nine, it was in the fucking canon. It's a funny thing. Of course, Rick Rubin produced the album. I was gonna say this is Rick Rubin's eighty seventh. Motherfucker is the goat. Even at the time, the thing I liked about Californication is that it was John Frusciante's return. His- first return his to the band. first return yeah i didn't know at the time but i guess he left the band initially because he was overwhelmed by their success like he didn't know how to handle it we're popular i can't do this there's do this and then he got into heroin almost died flea was like hey you want to come back to the band this is after one hot minute which dave navarro took over as the guitarist right. john frusciante is younger than the rest of these guys they already went through their fucking drug phase he's got some shit to work out just let him go i think it was mostly him and anthony kiedis that would fight from uh, listening to them in podcasts that like every time he left they were like i don't know are we gonna do red hot chili peppers anymore the second time he left in 2009 it was just because he wanted to make his own music there was no drama it was just i'm gonna do yeah. my own thing it's like hey guess what i feel like shredding guitars again i gotta tell you though yeah. what i mean it's pretty good shit it's, I'm not, yeah I'm not gonna lie. i used to read a lot about the making of californication back in the day the band was basically just trying to have fun they tried yeah. not to put any restrictions on themselves let's have a good time 
let's make some music. Californication was almost entirely recorded by the band jamming in the same room at the same time. You know how often that doesn't happen? That almost never happens anymore when the band's just all together making music. So Even in their process, someone has a good idea that becomes the foundation for a song and then they bring it to one or two of the other people like, hey, is this a thing? And they're like, uh, I don't know, let's try it. And then, you know, Flea and John Frusciante start playing something like, yeah, this is a song. That was one of the things about the um, Broken Record podcast with all the band members that happened uh, recently in 2022. It kind of proved my thought that Anthony Kiedis just used random words and phrases to make you feel a certain way in sync with the music. Oh my God, he fucking reaffirmed my theory that he's just making shit up. That no, it's good. real. He's it's just, real. It's random. It's random shit. You try to read a Red Hot Chili Peppers song out loud to someone. Don't do it because it can shatter your illusion. You'd be like, oh, this is fucking stupid. One of the things I learned about Californication is that it was mixed almost entirely in mono. Oh. The original mix for Californication was mono. Rick Rubin thought it sounded so good in a mono mix that he just like doubled it as a stereo mix and that's why it sounds the way it does. Back when we talked about uh, Death Magnetic, I mentioned how it was a uh, part of the, what they call the loudness wars. Right. With about the how, uh, flattening uh, everything out yeah, to crank it up. Out. Yeah, Californication is another very controversial album because of that. Once again, a Rick Rubin production around the same time period where he compressed the music to such a degree that a lot of audiophiles listen to Californication and think it sounds like garbage because it's too compressed. Unlike Death Magnetic, Californication has never been re-released in a more suitable format. Californication, there's only one mix of Californication out there right now. There's no such thing as a better commercial mix of Californication. It is my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Half of this fucking album is a singles list. And the other half should have been singles. <laughs> and the other half are our favorite songs. <laughs> so there you go. How many times we listened to Californication in a car? Whichever car I had. All the cars I had. So since that was a double, should I go again? Whichever you prefer. Uh, You go. I'm going to go for something that's a... We'll call it a contemporary. First off, what do you guess? It's from 1995 what do you think it would be 95 are there um people with uh long hair in the band there may be long hair are there brothers in the band no no no, no. are there Te- um no, i'm gonna say technically at this point there's one person in the band did he make like all of our favorite music <laughs> He may have had a part in a great deal of our favorite music, yes. Is it a uh, Nine Inch Nails album? It's Foo Fighters' self-titled album. Oh. It's Foo Fighters by Foo Fighters. Visiting is pretty. Visiting is good. Seems that all they ever wanted was a brother. Foo Fighters by Dave Grohl because that's what it is. Dave Grohl made an album all by himself. He performed every instrument, did all the vocals just for fun. He recorded the whole goddamn thing on his own with producer Barrett Jones, 1994. He was in a pretty bad place after Kurt Cobain killed himself. Okay, I mean, obviously, why wouldn't you be? He was his friend. Dave Grohl basically started Foo Fighters as a way to process his own grief and to recover from the loss of a friend. You wouldn't know that from listening to the music. A lot of it is very upbeat. It's very cool stuff. When Dave Grohl started making this album, this is the part that floored me. He recorded it in a week. In the lyrics, he made almost all of them up right before he started recording. Kind of a stream of consciousness thing. He just made this shit up because he had something to get off his chest. And that's fucking badass, man. Still the second best-selling album Foo Fighters has ever released. Still the one color in the shape? Yeah, that's number one. There are two little factoids I have to mention. One, Danzig approached Dave Grohl and said, hey, you want to be my drummer? Obviously, Dave Grohl said no. But I just love the idea that Glenn Danzig saw the talent in Dave Grohl and said, hey, bro, I want you to drum for me. And Dave Grohl was like, no, I'm good. That's very funny to me. (laughs) The second fun fact, 
Dave Grohl actually performed as the drummer for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers during a performance on SNL, Saturday Night Live in 1994. And after the performance, Tom Petty initially asked Dave Grohl to be the permanent drummer for the Heartbreakers. But he heard some of the rough mixes from what eventually became the Foo Fighters self-titled album, talked to Dave Grohl and said, you need to see this through. Dave Grohl was actually getting close to committing to being the drummer for the Heartbreakers. Then Tom Petty talked him out of it. Offered him the job. And then was like, no, actually, you should keep doing that. That's just another testament to how cool Tom Petty was. So uh, my next album. No, Kai, we didn't. Oh, wait. Uh, we oh, wait. didn't answer the question. Oh, wait. Yeah, we did. Is it in the Trepo Sitches Canon? You're not convincing me. I already turned my key and loaded that oh. bitch in the cannon. Okay. Next, well, I'm going to do one more. My next pick for this lightning round. Uh, from the preceding years this album was recorded in 93 released in 94 and also features dave grohl mtv unplugged series nirvana learn about folks going they die don't go to heaven where the angels fly Oh, you were there. Live from New York. I bought that CD like seven times and I got broke, stolen, thrown out the car window. And I had to have it because it's a fucking weird, beautiful thing. It's like one of the last things Nirvana did. There's covers, there's original songs. They took all their Reggie songs and made them chill coffee house <laughs> guitar songs. Some people couldn't fucking keep their shit together about that. They covered David Bowie song. They covered David Bowie song and fucked up the lyrics. And people still didn't care. And still no one cared. Can we go ahead and just put Nevermind and In Utero in the fucking canon too? We might as well. Yeah, let's do it. We don't have to talk for 17,000 hours about these albums because you already know they're fucking great. I mean, obviously Unplugged, yes. But Nevermind and In, in Utero, they're in the canon. We don't need to fuck around with this. Lake of Fire just fucking blah, 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 I don't know where do, where do bad folks go when they die but yeah guess what Nirvana's catalog is in the fucking canon I'll put Bleach in there too why not everything fucking put it in the canon yeah Nirvana that. is in the canon we figured some yeah. shit out we broke the Nirvana wall and it flowed in dear listener it's in the canon okay there's only Maybe. so much time in a year we can talk about shit like Max Power said look these guys like finding weird fun shit that we don't know about about. don't right. ask him to talk about stanley kubrick and we did for five minutes and right and they're okay cool that's all i needed we do this like once a week maybe at best do i want to spend one of those time periods talking about something so obvious as fucking the beatles no i don't want to do it but sergeant peppers needs to be in there promptly right. and exactly. now it is we could talk for five minutes about sergeant peppers then move the fuck on do you want to do that or do you want us to talk about other shit that matters to us or uh, dark mean, side of the moon you know what i mean like you said guess what it's already there it's there we just haven't it's, said it yet we just haven't mentioned it and maybe yeah. we'll mention it in conjunction with some other shit but right now just assume it's in there so uh i'm gonna it's not a deep cut the next pick kind i'm gonna rewind i'm gonna get in the way back machine we're gonna go all the way back to 1969 what i'm about to nominate is the second album from one of the greatest bands on earth do you know what it is is it the Jimi Hendrix experience? No, no, Kai. No, it's wait. Led Zeppelin 2. It's Led Zeppelin 2. The second album from Led Zeppelin. Did you know this? <laughs> Holy shit. I had you to fact check that. It was released on Halloween of 1969 in the United States. One of the fun facts about Led Zeppelin 2, it's the first, I mean, look, there's only been one other Led Zeppelin album at this point, let's be real. But this is the first Led Zeppelin album to reach number one on the charts in both the US and the UK. The best part is Led Zeppelin 2 knocked Abbey Road from the Beatles out of the number one position, and it stayed there for seven weeks. So basically, it said, fuck you, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, uh, we're number one now. So um, can we put Zeppelin one through four in? Let's just put their entire catalog in. Let's yeah. just do it all. Let's, let's just do it all. Led Zeppelin, I was, I was like, all well, the way to Coda. Maybe, let's do it all. 
Yeah, okay. Done. One's up and one starts out with Dazed and Confused, which is one of the best songs ever written. Yeah, I was like, wait, that's that was first it. song? Fuck. And then Led Zeppelin 2? It's a murderer's row of some of the greatest songs of all time. I could put one or two or three or four. I don't know. Um, it, I wrote down three. We have to go retroactive. The whole oh, Beatles yeah. catalog should be in there, by yeah, the way. Yeah, why don't we just do that? It would just be okay. easier that way. Dear listeners, something amazing has just happened. We have just canonized not only the entire Led Zeppelin catalog. We've canonized the entire Beatles catalog as well. So guess what? It's there. And you it know what? Happened. If you want to argue, the, leave us a comment and tell us no, what you think no, no, no oh, wait no it doesn't if, matter if you want to argue you can comment all you want I'm going to delete that shit because if you think any Led Zeppelin album doesn't belong in the canon you do not belong on the official Trepo blog. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to be controversial. Mm. Fuck you. Yeah. I put I put Zeppelin 3. Bronny R. Stomp was just fucking got in my head Bronny one day. R. It was Stomp like, oh over. God, this, this fucking thing will never leave. What's one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs is Boogie with Stu from, uh, <laughs> from Physical Graffiti. I don't I, I love it so much. It makes me so happy. Every time I hear Boogie with Stu. That's my pick. Led Zeppelin's entire catalog, apparently, was my pick for the next album on the canon. So what's, what, what have you got, Kai? How are you going to top that? <laughs> I'm going to go to the year 1985. Run DMC, King of Rock. I'm the King of Rock. There is none higher. Sucker MCs should call me sire. To burn my kingdom, you must choose fire. I won't stop rocking till I retire. Now we rock dog parties and come correct. All cuts are on time and rhymes connect. Got the right to vote and we'll elect. And other rappers can't stand us, but give us respect. We needed some hip hop. I think this is the first rap album in the Trappos Essentials canon. Album, yes. I think uh, WAP is in the canon, but that's just oh, yeah. one song. <laughs> WAP was the first rap song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hounds oh, of Love was the first album, so it makes don't it laugh, it's, laugh is... it's amazing. I'm just laughing because there's so much more serious yeah, <laughs> stuff. Yeah, and the yeah. fact that that also says something about us that the, the first thing in there is some satirical, funny, weird bullshit that's like, you really going to listen to her say wet ass pussy 47 times in this? Yep. WAP is so well made. But, but, but we're not talking about WAP. Shocker, Rick Rubin production. I can't believe it, Kai. Rick Rubin I think, I think the album we the, like? This is the oldest Rick Rubin production so far, though. We haven't got to Beastie Boys or LL Cool J yet. So no, we haven't. I think that was all he'd really made before Run DMC. All right, well, uh, we've got some fucking ass-kicking hip-hop in. What else you got? We didn't say that, but it's in the kid. Oh, wait. Run DMC, King of Rock? It's you in the put canon. put it in the canon. We're going to blast off it into space. My next pick is from 2007. That's Modest Mouse. Good choice. We were dead before the ship even sank. If only a brave new psycho who sees an end of Chuck it out! was envisioned as a concept album about a boat crew that would die in every song that was the original concept that's funny as hell to me now obviously that's not what the final album became but there's a strong nautical theme throughout this is my favorite modest mouse album i'll say that right now mm-hmm. this is the one album of theirs i can listen to from beginning to end at the drop of a hat if you've ever watched planes trains and automobiles there's that point when the car caught fire but after the car is caught fire they're still driving cross country in their burned out car and they get pulled over by the cop the speedometer's melted but the radio still works and obviously if you listen to the song dashboard oh the dashboard melted but we still have a radio there's no way in hell that wasn't an homage to planes trains and automobiles don't fuck with me but there's one lyric in that song that has has haunted me even needs have needs tiny giants made of tinier giants (laughs) fucking layers of weird ass lyrics and they fly so fast at you that you can't comprehend them you could listen to any modest mouse song five times and hear something different and go what the fuck every time one example of an entire album's worth of bizarre 
uncanny lyrics that are just blasting at you the whole fucking time wait did he just say tiny giants made of tinier giants he did, did you, he just fucking said that it is so well crafted and so clever i think it's their masterpiece good news for people who like bad news is right oh. behind it oh yeah right behind i mean it. can we just induct that shit right now i will gladly and put in i'm so happy that they had the one single that gave them enough clout to make these other albums <laughs> yeah float it, float, on. it flowed out on, hadn't caught on all right well uh modest mouse uh we were dead is uh it's in there along with nobody's first and good news for people who love bad news if isaac brock ever wants to make more good music we'll put it in the canon probably the last couple modest mouse albums were not bad but no, they weren't no, no. great if you took them out of context and you played one of those for me and then you played good news and said well this is what happened after that i'd be like yeah I'm fucking here for that. And they'd be like, no, this is actually 15 years later. <laughs> this, like, is, oh, this is a decade after the fact. Like, oh. I, don't, I don't know about that. It's one of those bands where I think they peaked and they're never going to hit that peak again. You may have a little controversy with this, but this one's from 1994. One of my favorite albums from this band, but not one of most people's favorite albums from this band. Alice in Chains, Jar of Flies. Oh, uh, okay. That's not a favorite for most people. Most people have several other albums that they prefer before that. Like what? Oddly enough, facelift. Oh, God. Jar of Flies is my go to. That's what I would pick. Yeah, me too. Some people like Dirt and Facelift better, but whatever. Charflies is just, it was one of the first things that I liked that was like weird. And I remember seeing the claymation video for, was that I Stay Away? Oh my God. What the fuck is happening? I fucking love it. And then later young teen early 20s rotten apple and nutshell nutshell Nutshell's one of the saddest Maybe, most yeah. beautiful fucking uh i don't know yeah. if i want to blow my brains out it's probably gonna be that song that's one of my favorite alice to change songs period jar of flies is a masterpiece it's fucking there all right what else you got lightning round or is it an ep do they like call a, it an ep wikipedia says third studio album wikipedia says ep jar flies is the third, oh, third studio, studio EP. ep yeah this yeah. is an ep 30 minutes 49 seconds so yeah that, that yeah. that's fine that's an album for me close yeah, enough it's in the kid i don't know it's just one of the grimiest most depressing things i've ever heard in my fucking life and it's a goddamn masterpiece jar flies is up in this bitch it's in there from 1996 it is from a band that we've talked about several times in the past talking about wanting to put them in the cannon bringing down the horse from the wallflowers Not what I was expecting, but I'll take it. This album means so much to me that I didn't know how else to fucking bring it up. I have to take my shot. Bringing down the horse, I don't know why, but it holds a very dear place in my heart. And we've talked about it before. Right. And whether we should actually devote an episode to it. And I thought, well, part of me would really like to, but the rest of me is like, I think it just belongs in the canon. So can I just put it in the canon? Can we just put it in the canon? Made in 1996. Of course, you have the lead single, One Headlight. Due to the rules at the time, it couldn't be included in their Billboard Hot 100. For whatever reason, it could not be included because they had some weird arbitrary rules. One Headlight was the first single to hit number one on all three of Billboard's rock airplay charts. Modern rock, mainstream rock, and adult alternative simultaneously and it won two grammys best rock song and best rock performance by a duo or a group blew everybody away there's a great quote that jacob dylan said in regards to bringing down the horse he said every song fortunately or unfortunately is about feeling massively defeated because that's what i was living 
And when you listen to the song, I Wish I Felt Nothing, it was inspired by the band's pedal steel guitar player, Leo LeBlanc. He was fighting cancer at the time. Jacob Dylan wrote lyrics basically written around that. And unfortunately, Leo LeBlanc died right after the album was released. The band dedicated Bringing Down the Horse to the memory of Leo LeBlanc. Bringing Down the Horse was an album that I bought it in 1996, and I listened to it many, many times. Every song is basically indelibly branded on my brain. That album's great. Bringing Down the Horse kicks a thousand kinds of ass. I love it. That's the hill I'll die on. So fuck you. I'm going to bring down the fucking horse with my next pick if you're ready. By the way, Bringing Down the Horse was in the canon when I wrote it down five minutes ago. Okay. (laughs) When you said it. We need to get shit a little heavier here. So we're going to go to 2005. There's fucking heavy rock. Lost and Found by Mudvayne. Kill me from the skin. That's an interesting one. I would not have considered that initially. I was just like flipping through some shit in my head and I was like, I need something a little heavier. This is one of the fucking best heavy ass rock albums I've heard. I could have gone to a bunch of them sooner, but that's just where my head went. That is the only Mudvayne album I ever actually bought. Oh, wait, I've listened to a bunch of other ones. I, I gotta tell you, they're not <laughs> as good. Oh, Jesus. Oh, right? God. I just dropped something in my... F- I'm okay. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> Bring your toe. No, I didn't. It's not broken. I broke a drawer. I didn't mean to break a drawer. It fell on my foot. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Mudvayne, Lost and Found. Like I said, that's the only Mudvayne album I actually bought. It's the only one that matters to me. Uh, You know what? I'll put it in the can. Yeah, definitely not their whole catalog or anything, but I think this is a great modern rock album. It's been a while since I've heard it, but I I don't want to dispute it. Even if I never listen to it again, the memories I have of it are pretty positive, and I don't want to dilute them. I'm just going to say yes. (laughs) Mudvayne's Lost and Found is in the Trap House Legends canon. I broke a drawer on my foot, but I'm okay. You got one more pick, so you won't bleed to death before we finish recording. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not bleeding. I'm fine. I'm going to say the album is from 2016. It is from an artist that is uh, already in the canon. The first album that's in the canon it was put in the canon in our first episode i don't know if you can connect these dots the album is black star by david bowie something happened on the day he died the spirit rose a meter and stepped aside somebody else took his place and bravely cried i'm a black star on January 8th, David Bowie's 69th birthday. The thing that I thought was so cool about Black Star, and even about his previous album, The Next Day, they were basically recorded in secret. No one knew about it until it was released. He went out of his way to encourage the musicians to experiment because he wanted them to feel free to kind of do whatever the fuck made sense to them at the time. He wanted them to be spontaneous. And one of his mission statements in making Black Star was to deliberately avoid what he called a rock and roll sound. He wanted to do something completely fucking different. He died of liver cancer two days after the album came out. People listened to this shit before he died, not knowing he was even sick. Like me, for example. I listened to Black Star on January 8th 2016 and i was fucking thrilled but there was something about the album the way it was made every track the construction of it it felt morbid and then when he died oh he was dying of liver cancer for a long time before this he knew he was dying black star the album was essentially david bowie saying goodbye when you revisit the album with that in mind it makes perfect sense. An album about a man grappling with his own mortality. It's a goodbye for sure. And when you get to Lazarus, which may be the centerpiece of the album, singing with such conviction. You know I'll be free. Oh, ain't that 
just, just like me. One of the things that really hit me about Black Star was watching the music video for the title oh, track. Oh, fuck, yeah. I remember watching that video before the album came out and then be like, oh, this shit's deep. I can't wait for this. And then be this... like, oh my God, he's dead. Oh my God, the album's out. Oh my yeah. God. Oh God. Oh, there's something else going on here. One of the centerpieces of the music video is the corpse of an astronaut with a jewel-encrusted skull. And you know that's Major Tom. You see his final fate right there. He's long dead, and his skull becomes the centerpiece of cult-like adoration. It's so deep. You're watching this like, what the fuck am I looking at? You feel something in your bones, in your fucking blood. And when you watch the video for Lazarus with David Bowie blindfolded, lying in his deathbed, this other version of himself, this avatar, who looks suspiciously like the thin white duke, the last thing you see is David Bowie as the thin white duke walking backwards into a cupboard and shutting himself in. And it's so fucking haunting. He knew he was at the end, but he wasn't content to do anything the easy way. Black Star represents some of the he had most... to secretly make an album and release it like on his birthday two days before he died. Right. He made this secret album that represents some of the most challenging and haunting work of his career. In music in general. Some of the in most general, haunting, beautiful, weird shit. He was never content to follow a trend. He wasn't looking at now. He was looking at tomorrow. He made something... And then went and found something else and did that. He dragged the future, kicking and screaming into the present. He crafted his own epitaph, and he did yeah. it so brilliantly in Black exactly. Star. Yeah, I think that was the thing that had me in fucking tears watching that video. This is his goodbye. I can't give anything away. The fucking closer. And if anyone had everything to give away, it was him. It seems like he tried. He still couldn't give everything away. But he couldn't do it. In the end, he had to keep something for himself. I, I could go on about David <laughs> Bowie, but that's it. Any yeah. album. After he died tony visconti had to come out to the world and say this was david bowie's parting gift to his fans but i can go one step further that's not his parting gift to his fans black star is david bowie's parting gift to the world and black star is perfect let's move on to the final pick i think i'm gonna end this on another uh, hot and heavy note here oh shit i think we're gonna go with 1992 self-titled debut album rage against the machine now you do what they told you Should we just induct all the studio albums they made? Yeah, I'm not gonna fuck. Never mind. It's in the canon. It's all in the canon. I mean, do we need to say any more about it? It's Rage Against the Machine. Literally, it was just like gonna say that the first album is so fucking grungy and angry and ragey. If you listen to that and you don't smash shit, you don't understand how emotions work. You don't no. want to break something, Mm-mm. kick someone, punch someone, fight the man. Shit is there. Hey, we did what? it. Fucking lightning round, son. We did. We we just put what was it? Twenty albums. Probably eighty albums. <laughs> we want you to join the conversation we do well i do do you want them i think we both do i guess they can join the conversation let's be generous here go to the official chapel blog chapel show.blogspot.com find the post of your choosing and just comment away we don't give a shit say whatever you want we don't care anymore we got (laughs) an email address apparently allegedly we have an email address i secured this email address it took blood sweat and tears for me to secure this email address and apparently that was only for a uh a spam folder i fucking bled for a spam folder trapo show at gmail.com t-r-a-p-p-o show at gmail.com it's got my blood on it so um use protection you just put in trapo show on twitter or instagram and you'll find us we're there leave a comment uh send us an email whatever the fuck we don't care anymore you know what i care about getting the fuck off the internet lightning Incorporated production.